We hope everybody enjoyed our last episode with three-time World Cup winner Mal Meningen. Before we jump into today's episode, we'd like to thank our partner, clothing company, Capo. The meaning behind the brand runs much deeper. The northwest of England-based clothing brand strives to bring premium aesthetic fitting and amazing quality clothing at affordable prices. We're delighted that we're able to promote them on our platform. Check out their products at www.capouk.com and on Instagram at capouk. We'd also like to mention the re-release of our number one best-selling book, Gold Dust, How to Become a More Effective Coach Cookie. As mentioned previously, the content remains very similar, but the updated version has been edited to a more user-friendly form with a foreword from our good friend, Craig Brown, CBE. With Christmas just around the corner, it's a great opportunity to fill someone's wardrobe with capo and someone's library with gold dust. Now, here's a snippet of what to expect from today's episode. We, we're trying to seek out different routes for players to make experiences, you know, to understand what real football looks like, feels like, in a different environment than academies. So these are vital experiences and, and players will suffer. They will experience differences they cannot get on with. But these are the learnings we need to go through in order for them to be prepared for the challenges in life. With the World Cup final taking place in a couple of days, we've decided to re-release one of our older episodes with one of our World Cup winning guests, Perma Sacker. Per made 104 appearances for Germany, winning the World Cup with them in 2014 and finishing in third place in 2006 and 2010. After his exceptional playing career was over, he transitioned into coaching, where he is currently academy manager at Arsenal Football Club. Per, welcome and thank you for creating time to be with us on the Goldust podcast today. Can you just share a brief summary of your formative years growing up? Yeah, so um, I'm born in Hanover in Germany and spent a lot of time with my family. I was very lucky to grow up in a little town near Hanover. And then my big passion or my family's passion was sports. So we were a really, really active family. So when I look back, um, I, when I was four, I started playing football, table tennis and tennis. And... Um, Quite clearly, I love team sports, so I, I stuck with football. And until I was 12, I played in a small t- town. And then I left the small town club and went to Hanover 96, so the biggest club in the region, basically. And at that time, they were in the equivalent to the League One side when you look at, at, at English football. But um, I played in a youth setup for eight years before I made my debut for, at that time, a Bundesliga side in Hanover. So I spent uh, 10 years in Hanover, then went to Werder Bremen when I was 20 and played my first World Cup, played some Champions League football for five years. When I turned 26, uh, I joined Arsenal Football Club, played there for seven seasons. And now I've I've been the academy manager for two seasons now for Arsenal Football Club. So that was a quick uh, summary of my life uh, until now. And I'm 36 now. We'll, uh, we'll be jumping <laughs> into some of those things very shortly. Now, you mentioned that your family were big in sports. Did your mum and dad have any involvement in sports as well? 
So um, my dad was a passionate coach and he played in the fourth league in Germany. So he didn't reach top level football, but he played a decent level of football. And then he went into coaching. So he was my coach for the first six years, really, from four to ten. So he really forced me to go to football, you know, when I was four. I think my desire to join football and to join forces there with a small team was, was rare. So I kind of related to him that he took, he took me under his wing, basically took me to football and educated me along the way um, how to defend, I guess. That's, that was my passion at the start. He said, basically, um, I didn't run, you know, after the ball, really. I was staying next to the goalkeeper constantly. And when there was a ball coming towards our own goal, I would then finally get involved. And what he would also say is that whether we would have lost or won a game, you couldn't see that, you know, after the game in my face on the way back, uh, traveling from games and two games. So I think he described me sometimes as a character who would be a little bit different to the others and then really calmed down and really balanced I would say so um, and my mum was sportive as well she was um, into Nordic walking big time uh, into uh, gymnastics so and we would run every Sunday 5k 6k in the in the local park basically so there was a certain element of sport but regime as well in terms of the discipline that you need to uh, contain when if you want to you know if you want to be fit so that's what that was my upbringing basically you get a nice balance of disciplines. You've got family life, which we'll delve into a little bit now. You had a very special relationship with your grandparents on both your mum and your dad's side of the family. Yeah. Is it right on the, the 23rd of, the Dece of December, the birthday of your granny, Erica, yeah. you have a, a family tradition? Yeah, because <laughs> family tradition. Um, yeah, my mum has got 10 siblings. So, rightly so, on my granny's birthday, on the 23rd, we would all come together. So, all brothers, sisters, all uh, cousins, basically, which were a lot, basically, would come together on that day and would celebrate um, granny's birthday, but as well the family um, itself. And as you can imagine, it's not always easy to, as we all spread out, you know, literally in the world, um, and the family and the family members, it was kind of tradition to all come together and then um, spend time together and kind of celebrate, you know, the, the family and, and, and being together. So that was one of, the th one of the things I really enjoyed, you know, really enjoyed as a youngster, catching up with family, uh, friends and cousins it was a major thing. You mentioned when, when we were talking about your dad, for the first six or so years of you playing, he coached you. After that period, as a, as a young boy, did you actually grow up and dream of becoming a professional footballer? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, no, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that, you know. I didn't dream that. That was too far away from me. I, I don't know if it was realistic in a sense of I saw other players who I believed that they would make it. That was my theme. I was realistic and seeing a gap between me and other talents, footballing talents that day, that they were in a massive advantage. So I deemed to myself to feel, yeah, I'm a good sport, 
sports person. I love football. I love my team Hanover. I love sitting on the in the stands and and cheering my team up. Um, I love my friends. I, I actually enjoy my school. So always seemed to me my dad is my role model. Yeah, coaching. But then he was working for a bank. So I actually wanted to come after him basically. So that was realistic for me at that time when I was 10. And that evolved, even that thinking that evolved with 15, 16, where you realistically look at other players next to you and thinking, they're going to make it. You know, that was kind of my theme. So my dream was to finish my A-levels. Yeah, <laughs> that was my dream, basically. I had never, uh, the other dream of professional football, I was too far away. And I don't know why. When, when I reflect back, that was quite healthy for me, actually, to, to have that in, in, in my mind at that stage. Were, were there any defining moments in your life when you thought football was actually going to be your chosen profession? At what yeah. moment did you go, this is it, I'm, I can make it here? Whew. I think the magic years, you know, and even in, in, in development itself, you know, uh, as um, physical development, but as well, you know, you're realizing you have a chance between 16, 17, 17 and a half where I made that step from, these, these are much better than me, these players, towards I can keep up, you know? And that realization, like, got me when I was 17, 17 and a half. So that year between 16 and 17 was, was crucial. To get the realization, I've got a chance somewhere. I don't know where it took me in terms of, you know, this... I was really good at taking opportunities, you know? When I needed to perform, I performed without knowing it. When I needed to have a good training session, have a good game, when I was watched by people that I didn't know they were watching, I had this quality of performing, you know, in a certain friendly, in a certain preseason, when someone was watching. That was my biggest strength. And I think the magic moment was when I was in a game. It was somewhere in a game when I was young, playing for, for a team, Hanover, in the youth level, let's say under 18s. Where all of a sudden I thought during the game, actually, these other players, they're not quick anymore. They are first five, 10 meters. I can keep up. I can win a duel. I can play a pass. They don't overtake me anymore. I think that was that moment where, where I thought, now I'm going to take my chance, you know, in this game because now I'm at the top, you know, I'm literally realizing I'm at the top end of the group, you know, why not me, you know, making steps forward? And actually, um, I think these were the key moments, you know, which were actually a lot. But, you know, that key moment within a game where I thought I can keep up. The interesting thing leading up to the, those latter end of your teens, but the mid to early teens per going through a growth spurt. Mm. And actually in your book, The Big Friendly German, it mentions when you're... 15 years of age and had issues with growing pains, missing lots of training, lots of games. Your coach actually saying to you, listen, this is not going to work for you. And even your dad, uh, yeah. where he said, your dad said you weren't going to make it. Yeah. What was it like for you actually hearing all of that? What protected me, what, not having that dream, you know, what I was just saying, you know, yeah. not having that dream of achieving it. It wasn't the biggest knock, you know. <laughs> Because it could be, it, it could have potentially be, you know, your dad saying to you, you're not going to make it. 
And I was saying, so what? You know, it was not in my plans anyway. Um, and actually what helped in that time was mom saying to me, you know, relax, you know, um, do your school, take football as your hobby and we'll see. So actually that balancing act of my mom was, mm. was crucial, you know. So when I look back and obviously I speak honest to my dad, you know, about these moments, you know, that really defined me. You know, looking back, these moments really defined me. And actually, um, yeah, maybe he, he claims now, you know, these were the moments that actually helped you, you know. So <laughs> it always turns round and round. But, but, but yeah, and I think, you know, looking to the system right now where I'm working is actually quite difficult. If I would have been in a position like here where you need to give scholarship when players are 15, basically, 15, 16, is, is kind of... Um, yeah, I'm, I'm contradicting myself, you know, with my own experience to make it like early decisions, you know, where I just spoke about that sweet spot between 16 and 17. You know, how do we allow, especially here in the system or in any system right now, for players to have the second route somewhere, you know, to sneak in into an academy system? Yeah, of course, you know, you don't need to necessarily go into an academy system to be successful. There are different routes now. Mm -hmm. um, but it's quite tough to make these calls that early. Because you, you can't really tell is someone maturated already is is there coming much still is there much still to come so actually yeah it was it was okay for me because I didn't dream about it you know because I wasn't like fixed in an academy system where everything was around football I had two brothers which was crucial you know we had totally different other other issues and problems within the family and my parents treating everyone the same. It, it didn't matter if I played for Hanover 96 or Puttons in the small town club or was just a swimmer as my older brother. It didn't matter to them. And that, that showed me as well, you know, treating everyone the same and towards their needs uh, is crucial and not putting everyone, someone in favor. So actually my upbringing and the, the, the way um, my parents treated us um, all same and individual to our needs uh, was crucial. Hmm. I think that's going to relate to where I wanted to go next. You mentioned that when you first started playing, you stood near the goalkeeper and really, you could argue, formed what your identity would be as a, as a player. Because I know young kids generally, they go out on the pitch and every kid pretty much wants to go and score. And if they don't score, that's like the end of the world. Whereas you've gone on... <laughs> You stand next to the to the goalkeeper, and actually, uh, you're stopping stopping team scoring. Now, you obviously formed your own playing style and identity at a at an age. So, playing early, judging tackles correctly, yeah. and you mentioned being very balanced. Whether you win or lose, driving back in the car. Now, in terms of forming your playing style and identity, what what would you attribute that to? Yeah, is that is a really good question. And, you know, sometimes you ask yourself these questions, you know, even now when you look back and reflect in, yeah, standing next to the goalkeeper, securing, you know, like the, the areas you want to secure um, is, and then playing as a sweeper first and then really taking advantage of the back four that was initiated when I, were in these years when I was 17 years old, all of a sudden there was a back four and all of a sudden there was a big thing uh, where all of a sudden there was a right-sided centre-half and would win every single header, would judge, make the right calls, make the right decisions on when to tackle, when to 
play in the zone, when to tackle a man, when to cover, when to man mark. It was just center half really suited my style, you know, before as I, as I would play like you had uh, two, two players, two defenders against the man, against the strikers and me play, playing behind and kind of, you know, anticipating, you know, when would the long ball come, when would I need to sweep, when I need to shuffle. You know, all these traits really put me in a position where uh, my presence, physical and being vocal, having the overview, really excelled my game to the next level where I could help a team to, to win because we would be dominant, you know. And then... Um, as well, the judgment of me being long and slow, you know, that was, that is still um, goes until now where you would look at results, you know, first 10 meters. I, I was pretty quick, you know, in all the, all the data I've, I've, I've gathered, you know, over the years. So I would surprise people in terms of, you know, my, my capabilities really, because I was underestimated. So my, my style, and then the biggest advantage I had with that style was, I played in the 23s for Hanover, 20 games. Did I need to change anything in terms of, you know, the tempo goes up with the leagues, but did I need to change anything in my game? Absolutely not. That was my biggest advantage. So I could, I actually played the same way I played in the fourth league or fifth league uh, for the 23s than for the weekend in the Bundesliga side. I didn't change anything. I, I, I don't know what, what helped me there, but I didn't change anything obviously you know you need to kind of react quicker to things but in terms of my style um how to read the game i didn't change anything so as a, a professional player you're six foot five center back and had an exceptionally uh, an exceptional disciplinary record in <laughs> 31 games without being booked and listening to you, where you're piecing it all together, the further you are away from the ball, maybe you're actually having more time to to see what's happening in front, to adjust and adapt. What would you attribute that exceptional record to? Yeah, so when I when I tackled and when I lost the duel, I actually got you know red cards. So I think I've got more red cards than yellow cards, <laughs> which is quite significant. I always seem to understand that uh, set pieces are really dangerous, you know, especially around the box. So that was something really to recognize when to go into a tackle, when to clearly know when I would, would win it. That was something uh, I took a lot of pride in, you know. You know, people would critique myself sometimes for not going into any duel, you know. Like, so you have these, you need to keep that balance between um, your own strength and your ability to to win duels at the right time, but then as well sometimes to be aggressive, you know, and in the right moment. So sometimes I would not have that balance, but you know, I think I was pretty good at judging um, these calls in terms of when to go into duel, when would I win it, and if I would lose it. So I just stay behind or run backwards, you know, not necessarily win it in that moment but maybe win it later. You know, I was pretty good in, in judging and making decisions around those, those kind of scenarios. Moving on to your club captain at Arsenal, you played 156 games for the club in the English Premier League, 104 international games for Germany. Can you share what the difference is between playing Premier League football and international football? The Premier League is the fastest, quickest, most intense league. Absolutely. 
above Bundesliga. You know, that's what I experienced. I deem that as very different. It's difficult to compare them. They're so different culturally. But I would say intense-wise, uh, up-tempo, up and down, the Premier League is, is, is a beast. And I love it. You know, I love that I was part of that and I could spot the difference. International football, obviously, um, to club football, you come together, you know, a couple of times throughout the year. You have longer spells in the summer when you want to win a tournament. So um, is the ability for the players to adapt fairly quickly to a potentially new system and new principles. So, and I think with Germany, we were pretty good as a team to adapt, you know, individually and collectively to the changes and to the principles that we want to stuck to. Our discipline is, is world-class. Uh, I would deem that to be, and I, and I cannot share any experience with other countries, but what I can share is our adaptability um, to adversity, but then our discipline to really, you know, to really make it happen is, is outstanding. So I would say, but the Premier League still in terms of your, your input and, and the, just the tension around the games are obviously very, very high. Like mentioned, 104 games for Germany, which it's a massive feat to be in the 100 cat club for such a, a powerhouse country is an unbelievable achievement. Now, we're going to touch on a couple of them here. So you obviously represented Germany at under-20 and under-21s. You made your debut for the first team in 2004 against Iran. And you then established yourself as, as Germany's first-choice centre-back for 10 years. So you participated in the Euros in 2008 and 2012, and then three World Cups, 2006, 2010, came third, and then 2014, which you won. You obviously beat, uh, you beat Argentina 1-0, actually win the World Cup. Looking back and reflecting on those experiences now, how have they helped to shape Per Mertesacker, Arsenal's academy manager? Whoa. So there are a lot of experience in there. So you correctly said it was 10 years, you know, being part of the, of the national team cycle from 2004 to 14. From the very first experience, you know, going to Iran, which was surreal for me as, a, as an individual, as a, as a person not only to say as a player, but it was totally different experience to what I've ever experienced. And by me, just like, I was pretty good at adapting and balancing me off, you know? You know, kind of, <laughs> if, you get the, if you get the spotlight on you, you know, the, the really something you, you cannot take, really. I was pretty good at relaxing myself down, you know, somehow. Because that's the, that's the massive thing. Even when you, go, when you travel with a national team, you know, the spotlight is on you 100%. And in 2004, I knew the World Cup, we knew the World Cup would be in 2006 in Germany. So the amount of pressure on this team, you could almost sense going through the Confederations Cups 2005. And all of a sudden you feel you're, you're participating in every single game. So the coach actually trusts you to build you up to play in the 2006 World Cup. That amount of spotlight and pressure really shaped me as a person. 
because then I was able to reflect back with a with a background I had and really calm myself down, you know, to in order to to perform and not think I've achieved something. You know, I was really good at kind of adapting to the to the spotlight of of the system, um, which is not easy in the in the current in the current climate. Because I say that there were no social media, but now the spotlight is on our our academy players when they are 13, 14, literally. So, and when they get their first boot deals, they're the spotlight. When they get their first agents calling them or first marketing guys calling them, we need to build up a profile. That there's your spotlight. Ten years before I first received the spotlight, my first shoe deal with Adidas, when I had my first senior cap, basically, that was the reality back then. Which then, <laughs> but I was much more mature to kind of balance that off and trying to yeah live with it and trying to get better and make the most out of my career. Um, so. Yeah, I would I would highlight the start of my national team career because, the, but there were lots of experiences in there. I I could highlight and think about you know what that has made with me as a person who I am right now. That was a huge spell of ten years of experiences that I don't want to miss. And you did mention now it's a different landscape where you'll have young mid-teens etc getting boot deals now for you in your mid-teens you nearly quit the game and then you fast yeah. forward 2014 you go and win the world cup with your country yeah how good of an experience was that yeah actually um what led to that experience was as well the 2012 euros i didn't play a single minute so um, that was quite fascinating because I got injured in my first year in England. Guess what? Tempo, higher tempo. My body, my body needed to adapt. Um, and I had a serious injury. But I was able to join the, the squad. And I was a squad player. And for the first time, seeing how it is to be a squad player, you know, and making everything I could to help the team to perform and bring energy no matter what. That was actually the first time I experienced that. But from there, the motivation, I want to show that I can come back, you know, on the club side and for the national team. And I was, from that moment, I played a couple of my best seasons, I guess, with Arsenal, where we won uh, three FA Cups in four years. We won the World Cup in 2014. Um, I played consistently after not playing a single second throughout the Euros. I was able to retain my spot again to kind of showing myself that I can still do that. And then the, the 2014 World Cup, you know, we, we had a, we had a, honestly, we had a, a, a great group of guys, you know, and, um, you know, looking back to it, probably, yeah, individually, you know, we had a couple of good players, but really in South America, we didn't have any single chance, but, but we took it, you know, and that is kind of the DNA of Germany, or our culture and, and the discipline we had throughout the tournament on growing growing within a tournament, not playing well, but still winning. And then, you know, think about the semi-final. And I was even on the bench playing the second half. It was a group of people that respected each other in any sense of it. And everyone would respect it, someone else to play in this position. That was kind of the takeaway. And once you stay in front of the Golden Cup, you know, you, 
you kind of, you know, I don't know. It's a surreal feeling. And I was so happy to share with players and staff with the whole German nation. And it was the real time for me after 10 years to say, listen, this is it, you know. Let's give the young generation a chance similar than I had when I was, uh, when I was 20. So I retired actually when I was 29, which is fairly young. But at that time, I had, a, I had uh, two sons already. And my wife was mad at me that I went to Brazil. Our second son was just born. So you kind of figure out the priorities in life. But, you know, to kind of, you know, finish the 10 years with a title was immense for me. Um, absolutely immense to, to look back at the time. Um, to finish that over the cup, because you mentioned we, was, we finished second in the Euros 2008. We finished third um in 2006 and 10 you know we, we missed something so that was that was really to accomplish something was was critical and huge for us you speak about that per with pride the thing after winning something as prestigious as the world cup 2014 you eventually have to go back to playing club football you then have to go back to playing for for arsenal how did you find that transition of training and playing for your country and then going back and then coming back into the Premier League, training and playing with your club? Yeah, that was tough. I mean, imagine um, 2014, we played until late, mid-July, mid basically. And we knew from that time we would miss the start of the season because everyone was already training when we were celebrating in front of one million fans in Berlin. So it was really, really rushed to get our break that, at that time. But it was difficult because I retired and put ease to that national side. But then as well, you, you come back as a world champion. You know, you've got to prove yourself again, you know, at the club stage. And the club demands now. Yeah, they congratulate you, say, well done. But now it's Arsenal Football Club. Now uh, the likes of Mesut, myself, we needed to really then nail it down, you know, uh, at club level as well. Um, so I would say it, it was not easy. It was tough. But luckily we won, yeah, we, 2014 and 2015, we won another FA Cup. 2017, another FA Cup, which was a, a decent accomplishment for, for the level of um, intensity we went through. Imagine like Premier League seasons, you know, the quickest and most intense league in the world. And then you, you have another two and a half month in Brazil away. And then you recognize... The others are training already in preseason. We, we, the, the game will, the games will start in, in, in three weeks, but we, we have not finished yet. We're just celebrating our trophy. That was, that was really, really tough. And you don't get an understanding, you know. It, 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 and I don't want to have an excuse. Once you step on the football pitch, and we had a week of preseason, basically, we played Premier League match against Everton. I remember, I was completely lost, just lost in the fact that, you know, you were not prepared. You just were not prepared. Body, mind, not, not rested and not prepared for, for Premier League football. But there's no excuse. Once you step on the field, um, you got to perform. And um, we, we not always did that, but at least at the end of that year, we won another trophy uh, for Arsenal Football Club. So your personal story from that young boy that went along with his dad to through to the winning the world cup all the achievements you had at arsenal do you feel that personal story has and and can be useful for the academy work that you're doing 
Yeah, um, I mean, it's a, it's a unique experience, you know, and what it gives me is, you know, knowledge, expertise about the game and what I feel is, is needed. But still, I need to understand, you know, the upbringing in London is totally different, you know, and we're trying to attract young talent from London. So I need to be able to get assistance, basically, with that, you know. Yeah, I, I can speak about my own experience to help players to understand, you know, how a journey could look like. But ultimately, you know, they need to lead from themselves, you know, they need to lead themselves. I try to lead myself in a certain way, but everyone is different, you know, in, the, in that frame but everyone can be a leader of self that that's my belief so yeah sharing stories sharing good practice hiring people that are equipped to do a brilliant job in london in in this big city of of a lot of talent that's kind of the challenge so and then for myself to have experienced arsenal football club what it means to play for it helps as well all the values and standards we we want to incorporate within our staff and players is something i can relate to so all these things, um, yeah, help me in my job. However, I understand I'm, I'm a rookie as an academy manager. I need to learn and develop myself and understand what, um, how I can take advice from multidisciplinary teams, from academy management teams, from people that work around me. Because before, it was just about me. How can I make myself you know, better for the team? And now is similar but you have more responsibility and one of one of the other people are doing a good job getting better so it is yeah i feel i'm i'm still a big role model but there comes a lot more to it now uh, from the academy side but actually you know when people respect you and know you for what you've done in the game of football and what you have achieved yeah, that, that, there is a certain feeling I have, which is which is powerful, that you are doing a good thing and trying to educate and make sure that you kind of, yeah, give youngsters, you know, like a voice and a chance to express themselves. That's that's my job. Having a having a rounded perspective on things, listening to you, part were you working individually when you played you were dealing handling your own welfare you're you've got of course you're trusting in others the coaches and the staff that come with professional football but you're not now you're no longer a professional footballer you're now a professional developer but what are some of the issues you see with players coming through the system nowadays in regards to all around care. Uh, I know when I was a young boy, I was an apprentice pro at Bolton Wanderers. My dad couldn't take me to training one night, and my school teacher, he volunteered to drop me off. I know that has changed. Now we've got taxis, we've got food, the players get kit, and of course, we're dealing with the money aspect of it. So managing the player and parent guardian expectations. Do you see that being problematic longer term for them? Yeah, that is really a good question, you know, which we ask ourselves every single day. What, what, what is care? You know, what is care for an individual? How do we make sure we, 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 we treat everyone the same but different to their needs? It is a big question. And then, 
hitting on taxis. You know, what, what are we doing if we, yeah, we want to support, we want to care, we want to give, you know, as much as we can, but do we actually prepare them, you know, for, for what life gives or do we do, do we prepare them for actually failing at one stage? Because at some stage there won't be taxis anymore. They, they, they won't, they just won't be that support uh, network from an academy. So we want to have well-rounded um, individuals who can rise to challenges as well, you know, and sometimes you need to take it by yourself, you know, you know, at one stage you need to be able to do that by yourself. So I'm all for care in the right definition, you know, and I, I don't deem to be care as taxis money. I deem that in a program where we educate um, our players in the right amount for them to excel, you know, on whatever stage they want to be at. That's my, that's our ethos, I would say. Um, so, it, but it's a really good question. And, you know, you need, we need to reflect as well, you know, where do we put the money? Is it in taxis or is it in education? Or shall we take money from the taxis to the education? It's kind of these questions, um, they're with us every single day uh, because, yeah, we have more, much more staff now who are, who are, really keen to educate and make sure our players are cared for challenge as well but cared for so that environment is is evolving you know in in our academy you know the, the right amount of challenge and the right amount of support is an act of balance and, and not always easy so we, we often fail as well but it is it is is not easy so as i said we're trying to provide challenge and care for them to be uh, well-rounded and, you know, accepting at one stage, accepting the challenge they have for themselves. Um, but, it, you know, we are here to support in, in any sense of it. And, and, and I think the players know that. So with Arsenal, per Mikel Arteta is obviously the manager. You, you hear the saying that he's a modern manager. You had a long, you've got a long-standing friendship with him which was built when you actually played as teammates at the Emirates. That relationship that you've built up with Mikel Arteta, is that a bonus for the academy players in being given an opportunity to train with the first team? Oh, he has certain demands, you know, which, which our relationship will not, um, you know, kind of tolerate, I would say, in, in a sense of that, he would just not, maybe he would, he would, he would listen to my advice. You know, you need to have a look at this player. I would only do that if I have the feeling that a player person would met these, would meet these demands, you know? So that puts um, a constraint and responsibility on me and on him. But obviously what, what helps us is the, is our relationship uh, that we know what to expect from each other and that we hold each other to account which is um, for me trying to uh, perform it on a high level. You know, that's what, what he needs, he wants from anyone working around him. That's what I respect. And that what needs to be respected by everyone who steps in the academy environment, but then in the first team environment. So I need to make sure I prepare them as much as I can for the demands of the first team environment. Mm. And that is more than just hanging around and just, you know, being settled. And, you know, that, that person in the first team needs to, needs to challenge, you know, needs to challenge the status quo, needs to really 
focus on him developing every single day to be a better person and better player because that's what he demands. But obviously what, what helps is, you know, our relationship and that we hold each other to account, you know, to, to hit these targets and to hit values that we literally stand for and that we have learned from each other. So that, that obviously helps. Um, but there are no compromises in terms of, you know, that there will be more players just because of our relationship. I don't, I don't think that I can say that. Okay. So in a recent article that we read with the training ground guru, you mentioned that every player should be a leader of themselves. <laughs> what is it you are conveying in this message? Yeah. Um, that is really interesting. And, um, um, I had a couple of sentences here, you know, when, when you heard me uh, before speaking about it, um, you know, and, and there's the, there's the element of, you know, everyone is different. Yes, everyone is different, but everyone can be a leader of self. You know, that's what I believe to make the environment himself and the team better. That's, that's, that's something I, I think is really important if you want to be successful in life in general. So if we're speaking about role models, having a positive impact on, on, on other people, you got to start with yourself and you have to respect that. That's what I believe. Respecting yourself, looking in the mirror and saying, you know, what have I achieved today? Have I done something good? Have I had a positive influence on the environment that is every day presented to me in a brilliant way? You know, the environment we're working in is, is fabulous. You know, can I, I only appreciate that if I make the most of the day and if I, if I respect myself in a way where I want to do good for myself and others. So there comes a whole lot to it. So, if, so that, that, is, that is how I would, how would tackle that question in, in, in terms of, you know, coming every day and appreciating the opportunities being given to me. I can only, you know, I can only respect that if I respect myself and lead myself in a way where I get every single thing out of this environment and the stuff that work around here. Setting personal standards, which is a great advice to provide to every single player, male or female. But listening to what you're sharing there, when you look back at when you played in the Premier League and you look at the technical, physical the psychological demands put on the current English Premier League champions, uh, sorry, Premier League and Champions League players. What character traits will a future player need to possess? Well, um, you can clearly see that intensity um, is a key element, you know, of the modern game, a key element of, of, of players you know, stepping up from the youth ranks towards Premier League level, there's an intensity um, that needs to be matched, you know, and I need to train, I need to eat, I need to, I need to live there every single day, you know, otherwise I cannot meet and beat anyone that is in that environment because I want to be better than my teammate, you know, to be able to, to be in the team. So I can see the, the physical aspect growing, you know, the ability to, to hit certain targets, you know, high speed running um, is one of those, you know, when, I, when you look at high block pressing, you know, the intensity that, 
teams like Liverpool have been have been dominating for a reason, you know, and that is the ability um, to to have an intense game plan. And Jurgen Klopp stood for that, not only in Germany but now in England, where he he get a buy-in from players. You know, it's not only that one single player believes that he needs to run a certain amount um, of kilometers. There's the buy-in that when we do that, we have a chance to win. When we do all of that, we have a chance to win championships. So there is certain elements that I believe that modern players um, need to not only understand the game, but understand the intensity and what I need to do to be at the top level. And, and if I'm able to do that, I'm in a good position with the technical, tactical knowledge I've gained over years to be able to execute, you know, all the things um, that have been prepared with my, with my running, with my high-speed running ability. Mm. So when we look at that, Per, we're looking at the, the sharp end of the game, so Premier League, Champions League. In terms of foundation phase and looking at look, players of players' profiles, different sizes, maturation, development is all different. We only need to look at your personal history. Is there a, are you shaping the, well, I say you're shaping, you and your staff shaping the, the characteristics and shaping and developing practice designs to cater for the needs of the future player? Um, yeah, we're trying to be as precise, but as well to be viable, you know, in the sense of that, yeah, foundation phase, you know, what, what do we want from our players there, you know, in terms of their technique, is it just a technical understanding? Is it a technical element? Do we want them to have fun? You know, what are the traits we want from every, every, uh, every single phase, which is not always easy because they're not many professionals, you know? So I, I, I don't want to hear like that there are many adults or many professionals, you know, they need to love the game, love the game of football and never lose it because that is, the, that is on the edge, you know, at some stage, a lot of kids, they, they lose the love, you know, for the game or what they've been loving when they started, you know. You never, never forget the roots or why you started playing football. You know, that is something that really interested me. But then obviously, you know, we want to we wanna present a framework where every single player works on their craft, you know, at one stage and make, su- make sure we develop them as being effective as possible in a sense that, yeah, do we play... One formation? No, we don't because players need to be adaptable. You know, that's the other trade of understanding the intensity of the game is players need to be adaptable. You know, is it a back three, back five, back four? Um, I don't know. You know, p- players need to understand to be flexible and, and take advantage, you know. So being really effective, that's what we all the time speak about. So is there a framework? Yes, there is, but there's always the freedom for the individual coach and player to make the most out of it. When we look at the number of players that are actually in professional academies, talk, we, talk, we spoke about the character traits and what you're trying to do to get these players through to the first team. But not all of them are going to go on to represent Arsenal Football Club. How do you and... Arsenal support the players that may not be ready 
yeah. to play for you yet. Yeah, I think, you know, what we want to do is obviously, you know, players for the first team, players for the world of football, and then players, they're not going to make it. How do we make them aware that they need to be lifelong learners, you know, constantly and not only living on the, on the, on the understanding that my, my, my table is only built of one foundation, that is football. That will collapse, you know. So the education starts when they enter the building at the age of nine. Only 1% or even less than that make it to the professional game, you know. That is an understanding and an education that starts at under nine level. But the perception is I'll be the 1% because, you know, at under nine or at under eight, you know, the pre-academy level, the players and parents, the talented players, they have a chance to, to go to five different academies. So you, 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 you have the biggest transfer market at under eight where you're trying to secure talents, but then you give an expectation to parents and kids that they are mini professionals, mini, mini, I don't know, that they make it, but they're, not, they're, they're less than 1% make it from there. So we cannot forget the, the love and, and the experience, you know, that we want to provide. And we take a lot of players on, you know, until they turn out to be scholars or professionals and even professionals, we want to, take time for them to go on a journey um, where we now started to see a lot of players going on out on loan, you know, the ones who cannot, you know, go into the first team or to train in straight away. We, we're trying to seek out different routes for players to make experiences, you know, to understand what real football looks like, feels like in a different environment than academies. So these are vital experiences and, and players will suffer. They will experience differences they cannot get on with but these are the learnings we need to go through in order for them to be prepared for the challenges in life so yeah we, we're trying to give perspective constantly you know in academy football because that's that's needed but it's as well difficult for people to understand and to be aware because as i said a lot of parents players think they will make it to the game but the numbers um show totally different traits so yeah, and on top of that, we, we, we take a lot of pride in our education system, um, which says you need to build more blocks than just one that is football. You need to develop a sense for, for yeah, an education um, that we invest a lot of money in. So we offer free education and extended education once they finish their normal BTEC or even A-levels. Um, we offer more than um, just a basic program. Managing expectations is key. It's crucial. Educating the players. Now we, we educate the players. Obviously, the, you've got your staff and your coaches, which have been selected for specific reasons. There'll be a variety of different experiences within that within that current uh, uh, group of staff you're having around you. But one one piece of the jigsaw puzzle that I'd like to just delve into if I may, is what about the parents? What advice would you give to parents or guardians who have a, a son or even a daughter in an academy system? Yeah, uh, relax. Relax. That is my biggest advice. <laughs> relax. And, it, and I feel it by myself. Once, my, my, once my, my boy kicks the ball, I've got, I raise expectations straight away, you know? And I'm trying to avoid as much as I can. 
make myself aware yeah I love it when he kicks the ball but actually you know and then I think about how might his journey look like being a professional player that's totally wrong and I should and he needs to get on he needs to find coaches people he works he loves working with and just let him do what he's doing you know and interfere the least because our kids they learn so much from ourselves we are the biggest role models once we start blaming coaches and not being happy with things and moaning to the referees and just being not kind to people. And it's just, it trickles down and our kids will absolutely do the same. And that is the danger of, of, we need to be aware that our behavior will go to our kids. So that's why I, I say relax as much as you can. And it's not easy. I, I, I slowly understand it because their, their expectation, if someone tells you, you know, at the certain club, we have this, this, this. We offer you this, this, this. It's really difficult. It, it raises expectations where you think you have achieved something. So, um, yeah, um, I would say relax. That would be my only advice I would give. Now, per final question for you in what's been tremendous. We could have gone down so many paths and asked so many more questions but we're mindful of your time. This game, football, it touches so many people's lives in such a profound way. It ignites a passion. It, it changes people's lives. It can create division. And as you experience personally, it can bring nations together. How has it touched your life? Massive. That's why I'm still in the game because I want to affect the next generation. To give back is really something that always trickles me because of the situation I'm in right now, and I'm and I'm and I'm trying to help people understand, you know, what what football can be and what what football can teach you. You know, as a kid, I learned a lot. You know, now I'm in a position where I learned a lot. Trying to make sure that people understand what it can do. And to unite people with all the different ethnicities, all the different interests, all the different religions, all the different groups. We have a big job and journey in front of us. We need to take seriously. And I, I'm, I'm really happy to be part of that journey. Uh, on behalf of myself and David, can I thank you for creating the space to be with us today? It's been wonderful listening to your stories your, when you first started off your family the tradition sharing with us our players how you feel people need to be treated so thank you ever so much for this time and good luck and keep up the good work thanks both i really enjoyed it Thanks for tuning in to the Golders podcast today. If you enjoyed this episode and you haven't already subscribed, please do so. Your continued support is highly appreciated and it means so much to us knowing that the content that's being produced is providing value in people's lives. If you would like to know more or get more information from us, you can follow us on Twitter at Gold Dust Podcast. And also you can visit our website at thegolddustcoach.com. Thank you, everybody.